Hi, welcome to Science Queries, a weekly podcast where we discuss anything and everything to do with STEM, often with an LGBT plus focus. This episode is the first of what is hopefully going to be a series of episodes about historical LGBT figures in the STEM fields. And this week we're starting with Alan Turing. Hello. (laughs) Hey guys. Hi. Alan Turing is considered the father of modern computer science because his work paved the way for modern computing and artificial intelligence. Um, He wrote a paper called On Computable Numbers with an Application to the Entscheidungs Problem. So what is outlined in this paper is basically the foundation for all computers. And a little bit about his work. He created this hypothetical machine called the Turing machine and essentially it changed the way people thought about computation in a very fundamental way because it laid out the basis for all computers. Um, Any mathematical computation could be carried out by this hypothetical machine. Yeah. Um, What does that paper look like? Like what does it mean to lay out the foundation of Yeah, what's in it? (laughs) Yeah, in that paper it kind of just, he had like a section called with the heading like the universal computation machine. I don't yeah. remember exactly. But yeah, so it kind of just outlined this Turing machine. Like this is the basis of all computers. This machine can do any calculation. Right. If given enough time and memory. Yeah. So I get, like the components of the Turing machine is an infinitely long piece of tape, which <laughs> acts as a memory. Yeah. Tape is in like, like a roll of paper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That can be like written on, and a scanner and printer head that can read the symbols on the tape and write symbols onto the tape, and usually the symbols are zero, one, and blank. And then there are also a set of instructions called the algorithm. So the idea is that um, given the right instructions, enough time and memory, memory being like the length of the tape, um, any computational problem can be solved using the Turing machine. It's really hard to like illustrate without a visual because if you see the machine you can kind of understand like Mm. more so how it works um but yeah so there's the head that can scan the tape and recognize like the condition that the state the tape is in um it could be like oh if it's a zero then do this and then move to the right or whatever yeah and then write a different thing yeah so it's just a set of instructions and it will do yeah So um, the next part of his work is cracking the Enigma code during World War II. So Turing was part of a team at the Government Code and Cipher School at Bletchley Park in the UK, working on breaking German code. The Germans used an encryption machine called the Enigma machine to encode their strategic messages. Um, so before we go into how Turing's team like cracked the code, we need to know a little bit about how the machine actually works to encrypt messages. So the Enigma machine essentially looks like a typewriter where you have those keys with the letters that you can type your message with. And underneath those keys, it was like covered with like a flap you could open. But underneath those keys, you had something called a plug board, which basically allows you to wire the different letter pathways. So it essentially allowed you to swap letters. Oh, okay. So, so it's like secret message. Yeah, so the yeah. basis of an encryption machine is to scramble your message pretty much. Yeah. 
And so if you had a wire for the plug board and um, you plugged one end into the H slot and the other end into the T slot, when you typed H, it would follow the electrical pathway of the letter T and vice versa. So the machine also had these lamps with letters on them that lit up corresponding to a letter that you had typed. Um, these lived above the actual keyboard. Right. Yeah. So you have a keyboard underneath it is the plug board and above it is the lamp that lights up like this lamp that lit up a letter. It wasn't the letter you press. Um, it was the letter that the machine encrypted that letter yeah. that you press. Yeah. So like if you press for like going back to your H and T example, if you pressed H, it would light up the T. Not necessarily. Oh, would it just light up a random? Um, <laughs> a random it would. Wait, it would light up a random letter according to the algorithm that was used oh. to set up the machine. Oh, right, 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 right. So, oh, so even if your H is wired to the T, there's like a bunch of other stuff yeah. that goes yeah. on. Oh, so right, okay. there are like multiple layers of scrambling that ca- yeah. happens in this machine. So the plug board was only one layer. And, like, that has, like, 26, like, there are 26 ways you can plug in the, I yeah. don't know. It's just, like, a lot of permutations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember, like, like when I was researching, someone saying that there were 15 million million combinations Whoa. of how you could set up this machine. Yeah. Right. So, the trick was to, like, crack how the machine was set up. In order to do, to decode, yeah, because you the can't do message. it layer by layer. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, within the machine as well, you had electrical wiring that linked the keys to a set of rotors, and this was actually the main encryption mechanism that I will go into later. But how this machine works, it uses something called substitution encryption. So, where a letter is typed into the machine, it will be recorded as a different letter, very basically. Um, however, this encryption is random and doesn't follow any patterns, which is what good encryption requires. Right. And so if you press the same key consecutively, it would be recorded as a different letter each time. So how is this achieved? The machine has those three rotors that I just mentioned, right? And so every time you press a key that corresponded to a letter, the rotor moves similar to, you know, those um, old cars with like the mileage. Yeah, I think it's a very American word. What, the like the odometer? O- odometer, yeah. Yeah, um, that like moved and it would move to, or like yeah. even or a like cl- a combination lock. Yeah. Like if you just like move a... But it was letter. more like, you know, you know, if you have, um, if you look at like a digital clock with, oh, it's like seconds, minutes and hours, um, like every 60 seconds, the minute would move up one. Yeah. And then every 60 minutes, the hour would move up once it was that kind of like mechanism so um the first like steps yeah so like the first rotor on the right had to complete its full revolution for the rotor in the middle to move one step right and then yeah yeah and so on yeah so these rotors every time you press a key the rotor on the right moved one spot because it moves this changes the electrical path that the letter is going through to be encrypted yeah so then it becomes a different letter each time yeah because each time you press a key the rotor moves so then it changes the electrical path yeah so like if you go through a full revolution not yeah. not for it not to repeat again it moves a different rotor yeah and then it changes again yeah yeah so the rotor has like 26 increments i guess yeah. so mm-hmm. for it to it go moves 26 one, so. times before it like kicks the next rotor and you can set that to start at any 
yeah. number. So yeah. you, you don't have to start at number one and then yeah. like go up incrementally. You can start at like number 24. Right. Yeah. And then it and would then move the next rotor when it goes back to 24. When it, or when it goes to 26. I think when it goes to 26. Okay. Actually, that's a good question. I don't, I didn't look because that deep into it. Because otherwise, is it the same? I don't oh, know. I, I don't know. Because then wouldn't you be able to, uh, I don't know. It's probably really complex really, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it is really complex. <laughs> yeah. And because like the rotor moves in this way, every time you press a key, even though it's the same key consecutively, it's always going to be a different letter. Yeah. Mm. And so um, how the message was decoded, you'll need the same Enigma machine. Yeah. Not the same one, but like an Enigma machine. Right. And you also need the algorithm. So the exact way that the first machine that was used to type up the code, you'll need the exact way that that machine was set up. Yeah. yeah. So I think what the Germans did was um, they had like like a piece of paper like showing the setup and i think mm. they changed it daily um i could be wrong but <laughs> yeah so so it was changed every time they were writing like a new message or something or like like a new day it's worth of messages yeah so that's how they kept it kind of yeah secret. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah the side receiving the messages they'll need to know the algorithm that was used to scramble the original message before they themselves can decode the message yeah. And the machine has a crap ton of ways a letter can be scrambled. Yeah, 15 million million ways, as I said before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot. And this was due to um, the combinations of the plug board. So, like, the electrical pathway of, like, one letter being, like, going through another letter. It was yeah. just crazy. And, <laughs> and the rotors and the position the rotors were set, set to when they started. Yeah. And... Oh, like even which order the three rotors were set up in. It's just a lot. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of scrambling. So, so yeah. they could change. Oh, they did change the setup of the wiring on the plug board. Yes. Every time. Oh, like, yes. well, like ev- they, however, however often they did. Yeah. Wow. And they can change the order of the rotors. Yeah. yeah. And then and the number that the, the rotors start. Yeah, of each Whoa. rotor. So much work for so the secret There were so many layers to it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so if you didn't know the exact algorithm, it was really hard to decode yeah. the message. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so was it just the Germans that had the Enigma machine? Or like did people like steal one and then have it? Because um, like even if they had it, they probably like it's probably hard to decode anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. The Enigma machine was readily available. It was oh, made okay. very like yeah, yeah. Anyone could get it. Yeah, the but allies could get it in it. You just needed as well. to know. But the depending on the algorithm, algorithm yeah. yeah. Yeah, you need to know the exact algorithm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the point wasn't that the Enigma machine was hard to come by. It was yeah. the oh, okay. exact, like, mechanism of, like, yeah. how the message so was. So then it'll like, just be like they changed uh, the algorithm every encrypted. day. Encrypted, yeah. yeah. That's okay. so, like, tempting. Like, you really know, because, like, like, it's so <laughs> readily available. All you have to do is know the algorithm to yeah, solve the code. True. Yeah, and, But you can get the machine anywhere, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But what is like, the word for that? Well, I am a bit... Like, <laughs> not the word tempting. Like, do you know what I mean? It's just, like, like dangling the thing. Like, like you could totally unlock this. Taunting. Yeah. It's, like, taunting yeah. them. Because it's, like, yeah, you, all you need to know is the algorithm oh, to, okay. to yeah, unlock okay. the code. Yeah. <laughs> Because you could get it anywhere. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, your Enigma machine had to be set up in the exact way that the one used yeah. to encode the message was set up in order to crack the message. It properly, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so, this is where Turing's efforts in cracking the Enigma code came into play. 
It's important to note that prior to the English team's efforts, the Polish had been cracking Enigma codes for years. Um, and they could have done it all by themselves if it weren't for politics. So Turing built a machine to break the code. It was called the bomb. And this machine explored the relationship between the encrypted information, which is also called ciphertext, and the crib to decipher the settings of the Enigma machine, which the Germans changed daily. Yeah. So the method they used to work out the settings relied on something called cribs. So the term crib refers to any known words or suspected words at a point in the encrypted message. A drawback of the Enigma machine was that it was not able to encrypt a letter as itself. So if you typed S, the letter the machine spits out would never be an S. Yeah. Right. So the process of breaking the code using cribs would be, um, say you have a string of ciphertext and you have a sneaky suspicion that the German word Wetter is within that string because the Germans like to report about the weather. (laughs) (laughs) Because of the drawback of the Enigma machine, you'd be able to lay out the word Wetter and compare it to the string of ciphertext, so the encoded message. Yeah. And if there are letters that match up in that position that you've put the word Wetter into the string, Mm -hmm. if there are letters that match up, then that combination obviously is not it. So they would just move along the string until you find positions that it could potentially be in. Mm. Mm. And so like like where no letters. I'm thinking the code about it. Like like, like, if if letter is not F, and F not V, move on to the next (laughs) one. If not E, move on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Like Like some struck split vibes I'm getting from that. Yeah. Yeah. And so they could figure out like possible... Um, positions of the word in the string of text and from that they were able to figure out um like the settings wait so if if they change the codes daily as well does that mean like so all this stuff happened in a day like of him i'm a bit um like so they used to do this by hand they can do it by hand yeah but the bomb the machine that turing made automated the process oh uh, yeah so they okay. could do this daily yes yes yeah oh right politics because mm-hmm. po- poland was where the start of world war Two like happened the invasion of poland was like the reason. oh so they couldn't work on it yeah, anymore because they're being invaded yeah like that was, that was the like whole beginning because hitler promised he wouldn't invade poland oh, yeah, and then he did yeah oh right oh, okay. okay sorry i'm just was like oh yeah that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah, they couldn't work on it anymore. <laughs> yep, makes they, sense. they were gone. No, like they were depleted. Yeah. So I guess like <laughs> the bomb machine. Yeah. So it used this process of like um, trying to figure out like the positions of the ciphertext would be in, and then it tested like multiple hypotheses of like the settings of the Enigma machine until mm-hmm. it found the one. I guess. Oh, okay. So yeah. it's like trial and error type mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> extensive. So yeah. trial and error. Yeah. So it ruled out like, um, so if a ciphertext was long enough, like it would rule out a lot of uh, okay. like possible right. positions and, yeah. or not ciphertext, crib. So the word that is, that they know that they would be, gonna yeah, be in there. the message. Yeah. yeah, if it was long enough, they would be able to rule out lots of possible um, positions and then it would make the process faster yeah yeah um the bomb wasn't able to decode messages from naval enigma machines and for and he like he actually did work on 
um, naval messages later on in the 1940s, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, he developed other systems and machines to automate the code deciphering process for the naval messages as well. It is also said that the machine he invented to crack the Enigma code was able to shorten World War II by a couple of years, which is quite insane. Dang, yeah. 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 Like, imagine the amount of lives he would have been saved by yeah. doing that. Mm. Which yeah. leads us to his own tragic life. <laughs> 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 In that segue. <laughs> Sad segue. <laughs> yeah, so now we're going to talk about Turing's incredibly tragic life. <laughs> the I mean, way that you so say hard. it is just so, like, yeah, so incredibly hard. tragic. Incredibly tragic. <laughs> Aww. Yeah, so like you know how um, LGBT plus people in the past have been quite erased from history, like you know the whole meme of they were roommates or they yeah. were just friends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's always so heartwarming to like find info about someone like a historical figure who Sudden, like, like well, I identified. One of the Nazis was gay. <laughs> one of the main Nazis in the thing. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I know Tchaikovsky. Whose name was like was Ernst Rome, but then he was killed by Hitler. So I, I don't know if it was because he was gay or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because I, I know like um, Tchaikovsky was gay, Oscar Wilde, so many people. So Alan Turing, according to his biographer, his first love, Christopher Morecambe, died of tuberculosis complications at age 17. Oh. What? So I know. I was reading this and I was like, oh my gosh, that is... Heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. It's like not it's like old but young. Like it's like that's younger than us. Yeah. yeah I, that's think. What I, was but I mean like us. and that's like it's a, like that's like uh, your first love story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like they've lived a certain amount. But then like it's not like oh. it's not like they're a kid, right? But they've lived up to they've <sighs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's like they've just started to experience. Um and so later, he Alan worked with a woman named Joan Clark when they were working on at Hut Eight on the machine that deciphered naval code. When they were focused on breaking German naval Enigma codes, so they were hanging out on their days off, and their relationship, I guess, looked like a romantic relationship. So they got engaged. Okay, oh. Oh. cool. <laughs> yeah, and Turing actually admitted that he had homosexual tendencies and that he didn't believe the marriage would work out. He yeah. admitted this to Joan. Oh, okay. And yeah, and this, I guess, led him to eventually pull out of the ma- marriage and break up with Joan. Um, he got into a relationship with Arnold Murray at age 39. At this time in the UK, um, homosexuality was illegal. And also at this time, his house happened to be invaded and robbed. By what? <laughs> by, by who? who? I don't know. Someone by, who like, eventually. Criminals. Yeah, <laughs> someone who eventually. Wait, what, what, what year was this? 49. Oh, okay. So he was in a relationship with Arnold Murray and his house got robbed and the incident was reported to the police because Murray thought he knew the person who robbed the house. Yeah. Oh. Um, but during the investigation, when speaking to police, he revealed his relationship with Arnold to the police. Yeah. And the burglar himself found incriminating evidence when they were, <laughs> when the burglar was in Turing's house. Right. Yeah. So both Alan and Arnold were arrested. 
And here's the infuriating part. The burglar. (laughs) The burglar was freed. Oh, my God. Because Alan had been convicted of acts of gross indecency. Yeah. Yeah. And because he was deemed a sexual offender, this forfeited his protection under the law. Someone's safety (laughs) is overlooked because... How weird is that? that Their, like, sexual preferences. And, like, the actual criminal. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, the criminal is fine. (laughs) Yeah, so the burglary was a hate crime, essentially. Yeah. Um, So it was okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, Turing pled guilty and was subjected to chemical castration. So he was forced (laughs) to go into hormones, like estrogen. Yeah. And this changed him physically and physiologically. And yeah, he kind of felt like he wasn't the same afterwards. Yeah. He was still completing work and he was still managed to keep his teaching job at the university. Mm. But yeah, he eventually met his tragic end through suicide with a cyanide-laced apple. The thing is, it didn't seem like he had he was ready to die. Oh. Because he had plans to attend events. Like he had... Right. Like he had future plans. He had like an invitation to speak yeah. at something and he had accepted it. Yeah. And he had plans to meet with some of his closest yeah. friends within yeah. the next month. Yeah. So... Oh, okay. Yeah. Is this turning into a crime podcast? Yeah, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> is the ambient lighting or what is it? <laughs> but his yeah. housekeeper found him dead um, with like an apple next to him with a bite yeah. taken out of it. So, but like, like if you, were, <laughs> you know, if you were trying to poison yourself, why would, yeah, why would you, you do I it mean, I guess like, if, if, like just make it nicer, I guess. It's like, yeah, I, I understand. You know? But also like that is kind of like, like you didn't know that yeah like you know what i mean yeah yeah Mm. it's just either way it's just very tragic yeah Mm. and like imagine doing all of that and not really being he he was recognized for his work he had he got like um an award i remember what it was for his efforts and the like his war efforts yeah but Imagine that being overshadowed by your death and like the way you died, the manner in which you died and like the criminal record that you got because of being yourself. Like yeah. it was just, it's so, I mean, I know it was history, but like, it's yeah. just so like, like hard to think about. You like know? doing so much work for the betterment of the world. Yeah. And then society still deeming that. Yeah. He was not that same world that you helped yeah. <laughs> telling you that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just because of this one thing. That mm. Yeah. <laughs> Tragic, I tell yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. So I guess like his life, it it wasn't so much like he hid his homosexuality. He actually like expressed it. Yeah. And that isn't, I don't think that's seen with historical figures very often because, I mean, a lot of the time it's quite low key and quite hidden yeah. because of the I mean, criminal charges nature of how illegal it was yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean uh-huh. he did have to hide it up to that point but i guess like after um i mean they already found incriminating died. evidence or whatever that evidence was yeah so the inability to like the purpose of hiding it seems 
like not worth it, I guess, in that yeah. context. Yeah. yeah. But like even when he got engaged to Joan and he expressed oh, yeah, to her he that just said it. He had yeah. homosexual tendencies. Yeah. yeah. But I guess like it reminds me of like, you know, the Freddie Mercury um oh, relationship. Yes. Yeah. In a way that like they probably were pretty great friends and then oh yeah that's true like yeah. although he didn't have that kind of attraction like i don't know <laughs> i'm just uh, yeah. I'm hypothesizing yeah. <laughs> but it, it reminds me of that yeah um i think elton john did that too yeah so i guess on that tragic note <laughs> <laughs> yeah because like oh my god like imagine cracking a code that literally shortened a world war yeah and then having people commit a hate crime against you rob your house and then they get don't away even, with it yeah like <laughs> and you're the one like paying the price of something you can't even like change yeah, yeah. it's kind of sad because like if he had only like lived 10 years like if it had only like because you know how like all this stuff started to like the protests and stuff started to happen like in 1960s and like yeah, there's 70s. such a short um you know like time span between like yeah. when he died and then yeah, yeah, he died at 41. Yeah. But like saying that if he did exist, if he did exist. If he did exist later, he wouldn't have. Had. Yeah, he wouldn't have but then like shot also in the world war. Anyway. <laughs> I can't imagine like there being, no, like, do you know if there was any like protests surrounding his, because it, it surprises me that no one like that knows of his work would, like, I'm assuming a lot of people would know of his work. Yeah. But I don't know. And then not. Like feel to do anything weird about him being in jail. Yeah, I mean, I guess because it was illegal, so yeah, so people can't really. Yeah, yeah. like the majority of the people found out he was gay after the war. I guess you yeah, because he, 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 if he was hiding that until after the war, then he, like, there's some reason behind like why he would, you know, um, I don't know, because like, I guess hiding it forever is a different thing to hiding it, <laughs> over that specific time period i guess oh, yeah i mean probably knew that he would and like yeah i mean i don't i don't think he hit it until after the war he, i think he hit it he was trying to hide it but then he got found out because of the burglary oh. yeah. and um yeah the media was really obsessed with turing the gay mathematician right yeah so the majority of people found out after the war mm-hmm. and so yeah like if they had found out during the war and he it could have been a different story for his for his work and his life during the war i guess yeah all right so i guess i'll wrap it up there thank you for tuning in to this week's episode we hope you've enjoyed your time here if you have any comments suggestions queries concerns you may contact us and continue the conversation on our social media platforms at SciQueriesPod on instagram and twitter science queries on facebook or even email us at sciencequeriespod at gmail.com don't forget to follow us on whatever platform you're listening to us on yeah so have a good week and we'll see you next time on science queries